Get ready to learn from one of the top influencer marketers in the world. Michelle Miller has a track record like nobody you've met. So three different brands that she's taken from kind of relatively unknown on the influencer side of things to one of the top five to 10 brands uh, in the world in terms of performance. Enjoy the show today, guys. Remember, if you enjoy it, leave a review, share it with a friend, best way you can help. Thanks, guys. Explore the minds and marketing strategies behind today's winning brands and businesses. Tap into the power of the creator economy with Earned by Creator IQ. Here's Connor Begley. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Earned. Today, I have Michelle Miller, the SVP of Global Marketing at K18. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hi, I'm excited to be here. I am pumped. Um, I think that uh, it's very rare that you get the opportunity to talk to one of the best influencer marketers in the world, and I uh, consider you to be one of them. So uh, I'm excited for today. Me too. I, you know, we've known each other for now over a decade, so I'm excited to finally be sitting here. It's crazy. Um, and just to give people some background on why I think that claim is true. You know, you started at Too Faced back in 2013. Obviously, Too Faced was one of the first two really big influencer brands alongside Nix. Went on to get acquired for $1.5 billion by Estee Lauder. Then you went to IGK, where you grew your EMV 800% during the time that you were there into a top 10 brand. Then you went to Kosas, which moved up 86 slots in one year uh, in our rankings, which, again, you were only there for a little over a year. Now you're at K18, which I think you were there kind of right around the launch time and then have brought it up to being a top three hair care brand in, uh, in influencer coverage. It is a, an unbelievable lineup, uh, frankly. Thanks. Yeah. You know, um, K18 has been an amazing journey. I was able to bring this amazing brand to market. It's a biotech brand that makes hair care. And our founder, Savine, actually came from the tech space. So it's been an awesome journey to go take that from, you know, zero to 100. But yeah, back back in the day at Too Faced, it was definitely a different space and a different environment. So to kind of see how how it started to where it is today, it's been it's been a journey. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like to be at a company that grows that quickly. I mean, we grew really fast, but that's like what you guys did is crazy, crazy fast. Um, so before we do get into that, I want to talk just kind of current day topic really quickly, and then we'll go into your background. Yeah. So kind of current. Current day topic, something that I've been paying a lot of attention to, just because we interact with these platforms quite a bit, is if you look across Google, Facebook, slash Instagram, Snapchat, um, have all had really, really tough quarters. And those are tough quarters after tough quarter after tough quarter after tough quarter, last three or four. Now, some of that's macroeconomic behavior, right? Some of that's just there's a recession coming, et cetera. But I also think that there are other competitive um, uh, influences at play, as well as, you know, um, this kind of uh, this decision that brands are making between, say, kind of pure paid advertising and more pure kind of brand marketing. Right. So talk to me a little bit. Is that what you're seeing? Are you guys pulling back in terms of investment, in terms of pure paid on like Google, Instagram, Snapchat, those channels? Are you moving that anywhere? Talk to me about what what you guys are doing, because obviously, again, you guys are killing it as a, as a brand yeah. from a marketing and, and revenue perspective. Definitely. I think a lot of brands had seen success in paid. Something K18 has been um, very, very passionate about from the beginning was that the brand story would ideally drive the, um, the desire and want for K18. 
So we've really leaned into the brand side of paid versus the paid advertising. That's not to say that we don't do it, um, but because we are a young brand, we focused on top of funnel. And for us, that has been a lot of creators. That has been TikTok. That has been activations with um, especially influencers to drive brand love to K-18 versus um, hitting people with ads where it's a really saturated space. It's super competitive and there's not a lot of ways to be able to break into, um, I think, the consumer's mindset. Yeah, I feel like one of the hardest parts of that approach, because I agree with that being the right approach, right? Um, but one of the hardest parts of that is, you know, you invest the money in, but it's hard to know exactly what you're getting out, right? Like, I remember having a conversation with you maybe like a year ago, and you were, you had a big, big initiative you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You're like, hey, you need to talk to Sabine and like, make sure that he gives, that we uh, feel good about this, right? Because it's not, it's hard to directly measure it sometimes. Definitely. So how do you think about kind of justifying those investments now that you've been doing them for, you know, 10 years across some of the most successful brands? Yeah, I, you know, I think before a brand can make a big investment, it's really about fostering your community and especially your niche community. So, you know, um, with K18, we really started with hairstylists and creating our, you know, our core community of hairstylists that love K18. And for us, you know, we had to first find these people because K18 was a completely unknown brand. So the first thing we started with was, hey, you know, try it. We knew if the hairstylist tried it, they would love it. Um, so before we went into bigger things like ROI, we really built our core community, which drives, I would say, 40% of our earned media value. Um, and that's huge for a brand that's in the top three in Harry and B, right? So our core community is driving that. So when we think about bigger activations, it's what's going to build brand love. Is there something special that we can do that is a bigger campaign? Because um, really, it's about the day to day versus your big campaigns. Your big campaigns are moments in the year, um, but your community is every day. Um, so in thinking about those ROIs, um, those are more bigger bets that you're going to take learnings from and you are going to think about okay, I, I'm going to make a bet here because I think this is going to work and my gut says so. Um, but I'm going to do that because I have a really strong community to catch, you know, if this doesn't work. So I would, you know, take it back to that. These kinds of conversations are the ones that just like make me the happiest, right? Because like I've had a lot of conversations at this point with marketers. Like I've gotten to know a lot of them and I know who's good and I know who's not. And, you know, and when I see a brand that's killing it, and then I hear what you're, you know, what you're espousing in terms of building this community, doing it from the ground up, having it be evergreen versus kind of initiative led um, is just so consistent with what I've seen, right? The patterns that I've seen that work. And so um, it's just awesome to see that. And again, when brands ask me like, hey, especially new brands, what approach should I be taking, right? When it comes to the space, I'm like, go introduce yourself, introduce them to the product, like start to build those relationships. And in some ways, if you start doing that and they're not interested in the product and they're not responsive to it, they don't try it or they don't use it or they don't want it, that's actually a product problem, right? That's not necessarily a marketing problem. Like, you yeah. know, go back to the drawing board on the product itself. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, I've chosen the brands that I've worked with in the past. They've had the product side and the founder vision side 
down. So, you know, for to take it to market, build the community, that part and putting the elbow grease into that has been really worth it. So talk to me about that a little bit, the kind of brand selection side of things, because obviously you've picked some really big winners, um, you know, both Two-Faced, Kosos, K18, et cetera. What, um, what do you look for? You mentioned a little bit of already like brand founder product, right? The actual kind of uh, stellar yeah. product. What is it that you really look for when choosing a brand? Yeah, well, I, I'll say it again, but the first is the product. Um, and, you know, with something like Two-Faced, there was that emotional drive. It was this pink, pretty product in a sea of, you know, black at the time. Um, and same with Kosas, like this incredible, like clinically efficacious formulas that were clean. And, and really when clean was, before clean was a thing. Um, and then with, with K18, it, there's an IP moat around it where, you know, Suvine has found this patented technology that, you know, cannot be copied. So that is something that is, you know, extra credit if there is a brand with something that has IP that cannot be copied. That's that's a great indicator of a strong brand. Um, the next would be the founder vision. You know, something that I've been really lucky is to work alongside founders with very specific visions. Um, you know, you can have brands that come from incubators, and I think that's a little bit different, and those can work. Uh, but for me, I really, I really drive towards a founder-led brand, and you know, K18 is definitely one of those. And then the last is, you know, can you build a team around there? And that team includes the leadership team around you, but especially the team around me, which I'm, you know, very lucky to be surrounded by genuine geniuses. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's been the big part. I'd say those three things. Well, let's, I want to talk about the, the second and third thing a little bit. So yeah. in terms of the founder vision, right? Like, what have you noticed? Because you've seen three different, very successful founders at this point. And so you've gotten to see kind of potentially some patterns across those founders. What would you say are kind of consistent patterns across those three different founder sets? Um, you know, I would say creativity is a very big um a very big trend that I've seen. It's, you know, creativity in different ways. With Jared, he was very much like in the at the helm of product. Um, all three actually have been at the helm of product and but different different types of creativity. And I think that is what leads to a vision that creates a brand that is around for the long term, where it's, you know, I think a lot of people want fast growth, but you also want longevity. And I think there's something to the founder part of the brand that keeps that longevity, even when the founder is no longer part of it. Yeah. If you look at founder led uh, companies like public companies, um, they actually significantly outperform non-founder led companies, right? So companies that have the same founder still at the helm tend to significantly outperform in a market where you can actually measure that right in the public markets. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. And I also think we see it in software too, where if the kind of CEO of the company doesn't have like a product background, right? If they're not from an engineering or product organization, if it's a purely sales-led CEO, it's much more difficult to be successful, right? Um, you really want them to be kind of centered on that. So that's, that's awesome. Um, in terms of the team, so let's talk that for a second. So you said you've got a, a team of geniuses. 
So how how did you get that team of geniuses? How should I go about doing that? What do you what do you look for when you're you're recruiting? And how do you recruit? Yeah, great question. Um, I you know I tend to with a startup you need to be nimble. So I definitely look for someone with an entrepreneurial spirit to be totally transparent. A lot of that has come from the beauty industry is very small. So when it comes to the close team, it's been you know, either people I've worked with or have, you know, amazing backdoor references. Um, the other piece of that is, you know, that's not to say that can be everyone because we've definitely taken new people into the fold. So that idea of being social first, um, having that grasp on culture and what's moving culture, and then also having an empathetic I would say for me, having empathy, because I think being a marketer, that's really important to be in line with um, consumers today. Yeah. The social yeah. first thing is interesting. In terms yeah. of what, do you, what do you mean by social first? Social first, um, you know, are they obsessed with social media? I think that is something that drives culture, even if you're not on social media, even if you don't have it, I think you're still influenced by it. Um yeah, and I tend to look for people that, you know, if they're just starting out in their career and haven't worked somewhere, then, you know, are they are they on those first platforms? Are they on the Be Reels? Do they know things that about TikTok that they can give to the team? Um, and then I think for someone that's been in the business a while, it's that that entrepreneurial spirit to know that you need stamina at a startup. Um, you need to not be able to burn out yourself and your team. So I, that has been surrounding myself with people that have balance, um, has been important. Yeah. Talk to me about, do you think be real has, uh, has longevity speaking of, mm -hmm. uh, that, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I've found that it's huge with, um, like for my mom friends, the 10 year olds, because it's like a low, it's not like a scary social media platform. So I'm not sure on the longevity from a brand perspective. It's, you know, it's been fun to play around with, but it's not, it's definitely not our focus. Yeah. It's um, I've said it on this podcast a few times before, but people kind of underestimate how hard it is to create a social network with longevity. Like mm -hmm. the only one that's been created in the last 10 years was TikTok. Like before that, like Snapchat was 2011, oh my gosh, uh, LinkedIn, Paris I think was around that time. Yes. Yeah. But like they all yeah. die, right? They all die, <laughs> like, yes. yeah. Um, it's crazy. Like it's actually really, really hard to, uh, to build one that lasts a long time. And I mean, frankly, even if you look at the ones that have been around a long time, it's like Facebook is having a tough time right now, right? Like a lot of Snapchat struggling a little bit. So even the ones that did get to kind of scale, it's hard. It's hard to stick around for a long time. Um, okay, I want to take a step back. So into your background. So let's go back to Two-Faced 2014. And I know that was a long time ago, but uh, but I do want to talk about it. So, because at the time, influencer marketing was a little bit of Wild West, right? This was not something that everybody was investing in. Um, you guys were one of the earliest, if not, you know, the earliest um, right up there. So what was it at that time that led you guys to invest so early in the in the market? And then what were things like then? And how have they kind of changed to now? Yeah, I mean, wow, it was so different. Um, there was no creator economy. I think the word influencer wasn't a thing. 
Um, and with really what led the Two Face team at that time in 2012, 2013 was having no budget other than product to gift. And we had um, a young team at the time that was social first. So knowing that Instagram was going to take out Facebook, I think we were one of the first brands on Instagram. Um, and we were able to crush it there because no brands were there. And we had people like Jeffree Star and Jacqueline Hill. You know, we were fostering those like tiny niche creators at the time um, and really giving back to the community. I mean, it was insane. We would see people like YouTube, Instagram, like everything would, it, would, it was all free. That was what was crazy. It was all free. And, <laughs> um, and so we were able to grow the business in this like meteoric way through gifting mostly and through relationship building. You can't do that today. Yeah. How have things changed today? Like, what have you noticed? You said one, it sounds like it was free back then and it's not today, but like, what are, what are, what are other changes? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, and when I say free, I mean, it's because the community was young. So we were able to give back in other ways that weren't paid. Um, and once that matured, that changed. So no shade to, you know, I very much respect the creator economy and, um, Yes, I'm and fascinated by it. I think today what's different is um, for for me especially is something like paid partnerships. That was something that was more campaign driven versus an always on tactic. So in addition to you know fostering your niche community, um, what you know how how you use paid partnerships within your strategy, I think has changed in the last decade for sure. I think people have budgets set aside for it now. I would say, you know, a majority of our brand budget has is set aside for that. And how do you think about selecting those people? How do you think about kind of who you partner with on a pay on the paid side of things? Because I would assume you're still doing gifting and relationship building oh, yes. and Absolutely. still doing those core tenants. Yeah. Um, so it all really comes down to what's your level of influence versus your level for the creator versus your level of authenticity towards the brand. So, um, how, you know, how influential someone is, does not, it does not matter how many followers you have. Um, and if you can get someone right before they blow up, then that's even better. And so if you can find someone that's sticky and is influential, then the next piece is how much do they love your product and how can you create a scenario where they organically love your product? For K-18, mm -hmm. we've been able to do that through hairstylists and we've kind of, con we've stocked influencers that we love and try to figure out who their hairstylists are. Um, and that's really worked for us. So we've been able to create a net of, influential people that we believe have an affinity, a real through true love for K-18. So that's how we choose. Yeah, no, yeah. makes sense. And it's, uh, I mean, it sounds obvious to me and it's probably obvious to you, but I think for a lot of other people, it isn't right. Like how important that kind of true affinity for the brand is right. Yeah. Um, you know, I yeah. think people tend to oh, still no. select based on like, what? Go ahead. I was going to say people know um, now the consumer, 
you you know when someone is selling something to you a lot more I think than five years ago even I mean th- we're getting smarter when it comes to if someone is authentic or not. Well, and you think about it, right? A lot of these creators are people that, you know, um, have been like the people that I follow online, like I've gotten to know them over time, right? Like I know who they are. I know their interests. Like I know them a lot better than you know them. And so if I'm seeing them, you know, represent something that just doesn't make any sense, it's like, you know, obviously that's not going to be particularly effective, right? But yeah. if it's really aligned and it makes sense and, and you're driving benefit back to them, right? Like I'm going to be more supportive of it for sure. Exactly. Um, so let's talk structure of your team a little bit. So, you know, I know you've stated in the past that in-house team, you know, is the way to go. Um, but how do you structure that team? Like how big is that team? What do they focus on? Like, you know, do you have people that solely negotiate contracts? Do you have people that are focused on purely relationship building? Um, how do they interact with the owned media team? Like how does that, how does that all fit together? Yeah. So our department is broken up into, um, consumer engagement, which is social media and PR. And then we have digital and then we have, um, product and retail. So in terms of the consumer engagement side, our, we are everything in house. I think I'm really a firm believer that the relationships should stay inside the brand. I think that there's a level of authenticity that that creates that you can't fake. Um, so, in terms of structure for for that team, we have uh, we have an amazing director of social, and then we have a community team and a content team, and then we also have mm-hmm. a creator team within that. So we kind of have three really specific um, roles and that fill really, really big needs. So we have, you know, community that has been a huge thing because, you know, like I said, fostering our community is number one. And it's not just about commenting, you know, a heart on your, it's it's really (laughs) like, let me engage with you. And a lot of times even now, you know, people go to, the comment section on TikTok, it's like just as important yep. as the actual content. So if you can, if you can leave a winner there, that's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. And then we definitely have uh, a duo that handles the contracting side and the networking side. Um, yeah. And then our director is like the mastermind. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say their name out loud. They'll be uh, recruited <laughs> a bit too heavily. <laughs> oh my gosh. They probably are. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, so let's talk. You mentioned TikTok there very specifically. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, first, totally agreed. Brands and comments saying funny things or winners, like you said, is, uh, I think, fascinating as a concept. But generally, um, you know, TikTok's a very different medium, right? Music plays a really big role. Um, obviously, you know, the content has to be more entertaining, right? So it's not like Instagram where you build an audience and now that you've built that audience, they see most of the stuff that you post, right? So it's just functionally quite a bit different. You can't, you know, um, so how have you had to adapt your approach for TikTok specifically versus say Instagram or some of the other channels? Yeah. Um, well, what I'd say is it's a sound-based platform. So that's definitely been what's been taken into account, um, tick, Instagram now is similar. So that's been helpful in mm-hmm. that shift to reels. 
Um, what I'd say is, you know, we've definitely shifted the way we think about content. So it's, we've almost changed the team to think of it ourselves more as like a media team versus like a brand social media. So, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we have a Slack channel that's like our content crew. We have an in-house TikTok content crew of people that aren't even in marketing that that like to make content and will float out different <laughs> concepts in that way. Um, we, you know, we have more regular meetings on what's trending and, you know, what's happening in the space. So it feels almost like if I were to go back, like, um, like, in journalism school, it feels like a a little mini newsroom in a sense. Um, And that's been really cool because we have an editorial calendar. We have, you know, all of those things. Um, So that's been, you know, our secret sauce. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's talk K-18 before we, you know, end up kind of wrapping up, right? Mm -hmm. So, K-18 has been a rocket ship since you joined. Um, You know, I don't know the exact revenue figures, but I know they're big and they got there very, very fast. Um, And obviously from our measurement perspective, you know, you guys are, I think you were the number one brand at one point, one month and kind of top three for for the year. So um, talk to me first about most people don't get to experience that kind of hyper growth, right? Where you grow just that quickly. Um, What have been some of the challenges associated with that kind of growth, right? Where you're, you know, you're jumping out of the plane and you're building the plane on the way down, right? Before you, before you hit the ground, like what, what does that, what does that look like? I would say um, challenges have been, I think with hyper growth comes, you know, the burnout can happen. So making sure that the team is balanced, feels good, um, making sure to focus so, you know, we can do so much and we do at K-18. I get often asked, like, how, how does your team pump out so much content? Um, we're actually a fully remote team. So that mm-hmm. I think I think that's actually very helpful in being productive, but then also having a sense of balance. Um, yeah, so I would say making sure the team around, like we've also had to stretch with growth. Um, but yeah, I think from the get-go, the, the core team at K18 knew that we had a diamond in the rough and knew that fast growth was the goal from the get-go. So it was very much, um, I like, we all like to say like a manifestation practice where, um, (laughs) we knew that with the product and with this IP moat around the product and what, what it actually does and how it reverses damage in minutes, um, that was something we knew was going to take off if, if put in the right place. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people though, that, you know, expect that kind of growth and don't get it. So when you do get it, it's, uh, it's a pretty, it's a magic moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely had product, you know, we've had issues we've had to deal with, with fast growth in terms of, you know, selling out of product and, and things like that, but. You figure it out. We figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, um, if you were to look at kind of the next stages of the company, right? So you had a ton of success, the brand's growing very quickly, et cetera. What are you guys really focused on over the next, call it one to two years? I think it's hard, too hard to forecast further out than that. 
Um, what are the big, you know, big next hurdles, big upcoming challenges? Um, you know, is it international? Like what, what are you guys kind of pushing on right now? Yeah, you know, I would say being two years in, we're still at a very young stage of the brand, but, you know, in that hyper growth phase, we've really crushed it in the last year. And it's interesting. We've noticed that we've seen other brands using the same language and positioning. Even we never thought someone would use the word biomimetic. Um, and we've, we've seen that in the market. So it really shows, you know, how K-18 has shaken up the industry. Um, we're really focused on building awareness around molecular repair. We have seen, um, you know, bond builders was the last really big innovation in the space. So, you know, 2023 is the dawn of molecular repair. Um, you know, previous generations of patch damage. We're here to renew hair. Uh, and to do that, you know, outside of brand campaigns outside of social, really looking at distribution, really looking at pro stylists first, because not only from a social media perspective, that's our core community from a sales perspective as well. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we've only really scratched the surface on how our IP affects pro stylists. So that's really the focus, I'd say, for the next two years. We have amazing innovation coming out. Um, yeah, so more, we also have some amazing partnerships coming up in January. So more to come. That's next. exciting. Yeah. I feel like you've, you've got a pretty deep background on the partnership side of things. I feel like you guys do, you've historically done a lot of collaborations, right? Both yes. influencers, other brands, et cetera. Yes. Um, it's been, I think when done right there, they can be very game changing for a brand. Um, we recently just worked with Anna Sitar. She's TikTok's rising star and has 12 million followers. Uh, she promoted K18 organically on her channel, so it was a it was a example of us seeing it and then jumping on the opportunity to work with her. Um, and we knew she had a just graduated with her director's degree or a master's in directing, so we actually asked her to direct a commercial for us. And uh, oh, cool. it's been performing amazingly well. She came up with the concept. Um, she, she starred in it and it's on connected TV now. And yeah, so we've, it's, it's amazing. She's, I feel like it's an example of a really authentic paid collaboration. It's interesting to hear you talk about connected TV. Is that an area that you're playing around with a little bit? Yes, that is an area. Um, we've actually learned that people that see a an ad on streaming television, if they've seen it on social media, so Instagram and TikTok, there's a higher conversion rate. And, you know, anecdotally, we know when we watch streaming TV, we're also on our phone. And so we've definitely been um, interested in that out of home aspect when it comes to streaming TV or, or even billboard moments. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, you know, the people that are watching streaming, it's a, probably the people that are on social, right? They're not watching linear television, more than likely. Um, so there's just a lot of alignment there. Uh, yeah. I love that. That's funny. Yeah, I I actually you're the first person that's talked about it. Yeah, it's actually overtaken. What? We've, we're, we've cut the cord. Um, it's overtaken yeah. cable TV. Yeah, no, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think um, there's something like it's like that 15 second spot. So it's like the 
the horizontal version of a TikTok ad. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, one more question, and then we'll do a fun kind of end of show question. So um, you were recently recognized by Glossy Magazine, or Glossy, um, as one of the top marketers in the world within the beauty and fashion space. Um, and there weren't that many of them, right? I think there are about 15 to 20 of them. And you know, you've got CMOs at Revolve, Mac, Savage X Fenty, Fenty uh, Ulta, Vans, right, et cetera. Um, so these are like big killer brands that you're being recognized alongside. And I think what's most fascinating when I have conversations with people is I'm like, everybody in this room, right? The people that are doing this influencer thing right now, particularly in the kind of middle management layer, like you guys are going to be the CMOs of tomorrow, right? And I think that you are on that trajectory and obviously have had the success that warrants that. And so I guess the question that I have is if you were to give them advice, right? People that aren't on your team, aren't interacting with you daily, that want to follow this kind of same trajectory and path that you've fallen, followed, um, what, you know, what would be your recommendation to them? That's a great question. I think, I think the recommendation is if, if influencer marketing is your thing, I think knowing that it's a really important piece of driving awareness today and knowing the power of influence and what drives a consumer's want and desire towards a product. Um, I think knowing, knowing that power is really important. And then I think having an analytical view on what's current, because I, you know, I think anyone in this space knows that it, it's changing all the time. So when it comes to collaborations or partnerships, building your community, it's really, you know, having an eye on what's current versus, you know, what's been passed because those it's a cycle that, that goes. Um, yeah. And then I think having an eye towards um, the overall brand story and the storytelling aspect, and then also keeping that like empathy, like I said earlier. What is the current thing? What, what are you currently focused on? Uh, well, we're still very currently focused on, on TikTok and then on the creator side of that. So I think even if it's not TikTok, what, what, what if that gets banned? Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> that would be interesting. Um, I think it's, you know, focusing on the creators and putting them first. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, we'll have to see what follow what happens there. I know uh, Elon Musk has talked about bringing back Vine, which was actually like the closest yeah. comparison, I think, to uh, to TikTok in the past. Definitely. Uh, well, let's do one kind of fun end of show question. And this is less of a question and more just, I think, you know, curiosity for me because I don't, you know, this isn't how I uh, I express myself, but it seems like dance has played a really big role in your life, right? right. Um, and has come back into your life more recently. You know, what is it about, kind of that medium that speaks to you. Um, and generally just tell me, you know, more about how it plays a role in your life. That's so funny. Um, yeah. So I have always been a dancer, you know, I actually took a 10 year break and in the last year kind of went back to it. 
Um, my husband also is a dancer, so it was something we went back to together. Um, and there's something about it's almost meditative. And I think that when you're in um, in a really fast-paced, high-growth space, whether that's beauty or food and beverage, whatever it may be, I think it's important to have some sort of outlet that's meditative and creative. And that's really been, that has been what dance is for me. Um, so yeah, to say again, 10 years later that I'm a dancer is, is a big deal. Um, and yeah, I think it's been, it's been such a gift to get back into. I feel, I feel young again. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that how you and your husband met? Yeah, he was a break dancer. Um, and it, it was in this group called Supreme Soul, which was on America's Best Dance Crew on MTV back in the day. Um, and I was, you know, in the in the hip hop dancing scene also, but definitely more feminine. I don't break dance. Um, <laughs> that's how we met. And yeah, to come back to that a decade later has been so fun. We have kids now, so they're, you know, dancing with us. Yeah, I just had baby number three about a month ago. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a whole nother topic we could dive into. Don't have time for it today, but <laughs> balancing kids and work life and hyper growth. Um, well, I really appreciate you taking out the time today. I know I learned a lot. Congratulations again on all your success. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. I mean, it's crazy to think about how much of your career you have in front of you and how far you've gotten already. So uh, to see what the end point is, I am fascinated uh, with. And uh, yeah, thanks again for taking the time. This was, this was great. Thank you, Connor. I've loved watching you as well. And I'm a huge fan. So thank you. Of okay. course. All right, Michelle. Bye. Bye. Be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe. Earned by Creator IQ. Creator IQ is your all-in-one solution to grow, manage, scale, and measure your influencer marketing program. Ready to unlock the power of the creator economy? Get started with a demo today at creatoriq.com.